Hello, beloved listeners. This is Octavia's Parables, the podcast, and we are reading Wild Seed, and this is actually the final episode of our Wild Woo-hoo. Seed exploration. We've been reading Octavia chapter by chapter, and my name is Adrian Marie Brown, and my co-host... I'm Toshi Regan. <laughs> I love you, Toshi. I can't believe that we could keep getting to take this journey together. Um, I'm so happy about this journey I'm having with you. So do you have any announcements? Yeah, I guess the announcements is like three seasons um, with you is awesome. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'm so grateful. And the announcement is that now everyone can listen to three seasons of Octavia's Parables. Yeah. Um, and they can get the transcripts. They can really deep and get in there until we come back again with season four. And I'm wondering if you want to say what season four is going to be. Oh, yeah. So so one thing I'm going to share with people, it's not quite an announcement, but just like a maybe a, a state of things, which is my sweetheart is a first grade teacher and we mm. are in remote learning now and our home is only so big. So there may be some sounds of first grade learning in the background <laughs> of this that's episode. Right. And, you know, just trust in that. That's the babies getting what they need. It's all good. And yeah, so I'm super excited about our next book. It's, I don't think, a big leap for people that this is what we're going to go to, but we're going to continue <laughs> in this series, the Patternist series, and we're going to go to Mind of My Mind, which I, I think... Yeah, I, I feel like I've said this each season, but I'm like, I think it's my favorite. <laughs> so um, Mind of My Mind is, <laughs> is, I think, for organizers, it is the text, right? It's the text. Mm. It's really all about how you move from being a singular entity into a connected and capable network of humans. So, mm. um, yeah. So please keep reading with us. Please keep coming with us along this journey of Octavia E. Butler's genius work. And absolutely. Let's get into absolutely. this chapter 14. A lot happens let's get here. It. Oh my goodness. Um, well, if you all have been listening along, you know that Doro invited Anyanwu into his being. They were in a good love space, and he really opened up and wanted to share something with her. And so she she trusted at first it was a very scary but she trusted to go into the the Doro universe and once she was there she discovered all kinds of of journeying and things and it was expansive but at some point she had decided he was actually trying to kill her mm-hmm. and when she decided that she was like you know what this is okay with me cuz i'm really tired So we enter into 14, where actually he was not trying to kill her. He really was trying to share a part of himself with her. And he's done this before. He's done this, um, of course, in a very Dora way, which is when some of his children have just transitioned, he's tried to do this because they are in a weaker state. They're exhausted from transitioning. They they haven't quite arrived to whoever, whoever they're going to be. And then Doro is like, that's the perfect time to like take them someplace. 
someplace that they will never experience anywhere else in the entire life, uh, no matter who they become. He is, there is only one Doro. And then he decides, you know what, let me take them someplace like this. And so he, he has done this and Anyangwu comes out of it and realizes that, you know, she is, she is alive and that he was not trying to kill her. And then there's just this one thing where Doro is thinking about the kinds of people who will um, come to Anyanwu as as they continue their relationship of, you know, creating the Doro world of people. And he thinks she is going to be getting more Josephs and Lails. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty um, horrific. But when she wakes up, he kisses her and they get to bask in the energy of what she, what they just experienced together. And of course, she has a lot of questions for him. And the, the big answer to a lot of the questions is that fear makes it worse. Mm-hmm. So that if you're going to go into the journey, the less afraid you are, the easier it is to have it and the less risk of you doing something that would, would challenge him to, you know, kill you. Mm. So he is, Doro is on high. He is in this amazing body. You know, he he has gotten Anyanwu to trust him and take her deep, deep, deep into who he is and experience these high levels of pleasure. And he's just like, we need to just do what Isaac said, which is like, let's just be together. Like, we it's time. We need to do this. And they are very cute. And they're so cute. The kids are whispering about them. And, you know, nobody is like, people aren't as afraid of him as they were. He just kind of becomes a regular guy, which probably never happens to him. And <laughs> he becomes a regular guy. He's just like Anyanwu's man. And every time he takes a little, you know, trip, you know, Anyanwu's like, bring this body back to me. Yeah. And he's he's like, you know, I can't promise you anything. So he goes on a trip. He takes his his white son, his older white son, who is from this family that he's had for 135 years. You know, he just brought these white people over and then he set them up in Virginia. And then he's had these kids. And this is one of his older, older sons. And they're they're moving around together. And every once in a while, his um, his son has to rescue him. Um, one time he was enslaved and his son was like, no, he, he's a prince. (laughs) Like he, he makes up these stories. He's an African prince who was accidentally enslaved and now he's been freed and we are going to return him home. And Doro plays the part. So that's how, you know, even Doro is getting around in this, um, wretched world of slavery. And Doro has this woman named Susan and Susan has a child by him and also, EA was uh, her son Stephen's last lover mm-hmm. and she has a ch- and she has Stephen's child and so Doro's the woman Susan and EA's child are being born very close together Ayanyu she delivers EA's child and EA can't um she can't produce milk so so Anyanwu is is feeding the baby and um Susan is like not going to have any interest in taking care of a baby. Um, eventually, Anyamu finds like a, a home for Susan's babies. And Susan's like a cool person, yes. like very strong and very like, you know, awesome. And, you know, Anyamu cares about people. So 
she finds the jobs that people want to do that make them happy. And for Susan, it's to work in the field. And, you know, Doro it just thinks like Anyangwu has weak people. They're weak and they're sensitive. But that's the way he looks at care, that it's not <laughs> it's yep. in consideration. But they're still in the, the swoon of their love and... They have this amazing night where, you know, Doro is like, I want some of this milk. Like, let me try it. Yep. <laughs> and she's like, all right, you know, you want it, you got it. And she gives him some milk and they wake up the next day and Doro is trembling because he, he has kept this body as long as he possibly can. And he wakes up and he goes out and he takes Susan. And it is, you know, Doro being Doro and Doro not you know, thinking about things and Doro not learning and Doro not understanding. And he takes Susan and and then they uh, take his, his body to the old, you know, slave graveyard. And Frank says, you know, hey, are you going to keep this body? And he's like, nope, I already got what I need from it. Like I could keep it for one or two years. It's a good body, but I'm good. And then he um, he returns in two weeks in a white man's body alone. And Anyangwu is like, in that two weeks of time, you can just imagine that she went through the whole spectrum of of what the fuck. Like, there is nothing she can give this man that he can actually learn and absorb, like what she has been trying to teach him now for, you know, (laughs) so many years. So she doesn't have a lot to say. You know, she's not really, she's not really here for explaining anything. She just is like, you took Susan. And he doesn't have a, a lot to say. And she's called for her her daughter and her son-in-law. And, you know, it's about to go down. Yep. And the little one, Helen, tries to explain to him, like, what he's done. She's furious. You know, they get into it. And um, she is just like, you don't understand anything like <laughs> And she bites him like she is just done. Leah comes, people are like, they're getting ready and she is leaving. You know, it's trying to be explained to him because like she's hooking everybody up. You know, she's not going to just one day leave and and leave them. So she's like making the arrangements that that need to be made. And Doro is just just does not understand. Like he's like, she's going to the sea. And she's like, no, Doro, this is Helen. No, Doro, not to the sea. Someday she would have to come out of the sea and then you would find her again and she would have to watch you kill her friends and kill her own, kill her friends, kill your own friends. And he's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And he and he um, grabs her by the arm and then she she bites him yeah. and the pain makes Doral release her and she could not know how dangerous it was for her to cause him sudden and unexpected pain. Mm. Had she done it just before he killed Susan, he would have taken her helplessly. But now having fed, he has more control. Um, so it's it's a lot. This is like, you know, where I call it the journey to try to keep Anyanwu from leaving. You know, and everybody is working on this. Like all of the people. You know, there's like a weird feeling. You know, there's this, this you know, silent dinners and, 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 you know, nobody here really for her preparations for them. And it's just very unease. And so Doro is just, he don't know how to handle this because he doesn't have, you know, any control. And he's just like, 
you know, shall I go away? And she's like, no, stay with me. I need you here. Uh, even though, um, <laughs> you know, I'm an obscenity. And she's like, yeah, please, like, stay. I actually need you. <laughs> and <laughs> and so, like, of course, he leaves. <laughs> that's, that's, how he, that's how he is. So um, he went away for a few weeks. He didn't um, like what she was doing to him. He could not remember a time when his thoughts had been so confused, when he had wanted so badly, so painfully something he could not have. He had done what Anyanwu had apparently done. He had allowed her to touch him as though he were an ordinary man. He had allowed her to awaken feelings in him that had been dormant for several times, as long as even she had been alive. He had all but stripped himself before her. It amazed him that he could do such a thing or that she could see him do it and not care. She of all people. So he leaves and he goes and sees, you know, one of the women he has. He takes a body of, you know, a free black man that was horrible to his slaves. And he takes another body of another free black and one who could have been a light-skinned brother to the one Anyanwu had liked. Compact, handsome, red, brown. Perhaps she would reject it because it was too like the other one without being the other one. We don't know, but he's trying everything. So he <laughs> he returns, he returns and uh, she takes his hand and she leads him to the house and Julian gives her, and this is one of her sons, Julian gives Doro a long, frightened, pleading look. Like people are just like, you know, dude, come on, man, like get it together. She is not playing with us. And to the point where he's, you know, he's following her around while she's doing everything and like, wait, why are you doing this? And what's yeah. that about? And, they, you know, what's that for? And she's basically like, you know, getting people ready and she's pregnant and he's, he's petrified. Like he knows the second this baby comes, like that's it. And, you know, forward moving ever, she finds a woman um, to nurse her baby and she gave calm instructions to a frightened Leah. She considered Leah the strangest, the brightest of her white daughters, and the one most competent to seek, succeed her. And Cain didn't want this. He felt very threatened and he felt very frightened and he felt all of his feelings that he feels. Mm -hmm. And he is like, Doro, do something. Like, it's <laughs> like, dude, you know, come on, isn't there anything? And they're trying to, to, to like see is this real? And Leah, who is the one that can, you know, feel the feelings after the places you have been yes. and, and and really, really good with ghosts. Um, but Leah held her hands in front of her and looked down at him and she opened and closed the fingers as though to grasp something, but she held only air. She gestured sometimes when receiving or remembering images and impressions no one else could see. In ordinary society, people would certainly have thought her to be demented but she's like that's what I can feel so she's just basically grasping the air yep. she's like that's what I can feel if I sit where she's she's sat or even more if I handle something she's worn it's a reaching and reaching and grasping then her hands are empty there's nothing she's tired she is very tired so 
this is how it goes on and on until Doro is like, I wrote at the big, at the top of the page, Doro's last try. And so now he is in the begging sec universe, you know, he's like, not, you know, tell me again. And she's just like, you know, why are you doing this? She's like, I've tried to tell you. He's like, tell me again, tell me again, tell me again. And she's like, I've told you. And she's in that, I don't know when you have a fight with somebody and you know, when fights are really loud and like full of adrenaline and they just, you know, explosive. And then they kind of like, you know, wear out. Like I might prefer those fights to the calm, quiet, slow talking. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is not going to blow over fight like that fight. The calm, like you almost have no answer for that because the the other person is like, I don't know if you got a question about that, but tone of voice, breathing, all the whole just clarity of where you are. Ah, she says so softly, I've told you that even when I hated you, I believed in you and what you were trying to do. I believe that we should have people more like ourselves, that we should not be alone. You had much less trouble with me than you could have because I believe that. I learned to turn my head and ignore the things you did to people. But Doro, I could not ignore everything. You kill your best servants, people who obey you even when it means suffering for them. Killing gives you too much pleasure, far too much. And he's in this, you know, you know what I am. And it's just not meaning anything. She's like the human part of you is dying, Doro. And if you remember, Isaac said to her as a way to keep her connected to Doro that he would be losing his human part and he needed her to help balance it so that he wouldn't even get to be worse than he is. And she goes on to say that someone will find a way to rid the world of you. And he's like, how, you know, the best people, the ones with the greatest potential power belong to me. I've been collecting them and protecting them, breeding them for nearly four millennia while ordinary people poisoned, tortured, hanged or, or burned any that I missed. And she's just like, you know, you're, you're not everything. Yeah. You know, she's (laughs) like for three centuries, you missed me. It doesn't matter. I cannot say what will happen, but like Isaac, I'm glad I won't live to see it. And she is ready. She's ready to go. And he's a hot mess. He's shaking. His legs are weak. He's physically unable to contain the urgency of the moment. He's spent like all of his logic. He doesn't, he doesn't have anything else. And she has she Anyamu's pulled back the blanket and the sheet and lay down. He knew suddenly that she would die now, right in front of him. She would lie there and shut herself off. And then he is just like Anyanwu. He's on the bed with her. He's pulling her up again. Please, he said, not hearing himself any longer. Please, Anyanwu, listen. She was still alive. Listen to me. There isn't anything I wouldn't give to be able to lie down beside you and die when you die. You can't know how I've longed. He swallowed, son woman, please don't leave me. His voice caught and broke and he wept. He choked out great sobs that shook his already shaking body almost beyond bearing. He wept as though 
for all the past times when no tears would come, when there was no relief, he could not stop. He did not know when she pulled off his boots and pulled the blanket up over him, when she bathed his face in cool water. He did know the comfort of her arms, the warmth of her body next to him. He slept, finally exhausted, his head on her breast, and at sunrise when he awoke, the breast was still warm, still rising, and falling gently with her breathing. I mean, <laughs> she gets me every time. Octavia does mm. this to me every time. I'm just like, yeah, forget about mm-hmm. him. And then I'm like, oh, but he's weeping. It's not all gone. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen some monsters weep this way as well. <laughs> I know this particular Lots. grief. Mm-hmm. So, so the questions I have for this chapter, you know, there's so much happening in here, but I feel that there's some really interesting choice points early on. You know, there's this conversation Anyanwu coming out of the experience of traveling into Doro's vast space. And it's clear that she has all the power of the body, but she doesn't read minds. She doesn't know how to control minds. It's not one of her gifts. Mm-hmm. So a question I have for our listeners, if you could choose between the power to read and control other people's minds or the power to heal and reshape the body, you know, your body to be able to heal other bodies, which would you choose and why? Which feels Mm. more powerful to you and why? (laughs) I have to admit, I've been having this conversation with my nibbling because we read the Red Queen series together, which is all about all these gifts and powers that people have. And my nibbling mm-hmm. is convinced that, like, mind control is the top gift. Like, she's like, that's the best one because you can make everybody do whatever you want. And I'm very much on the side of the body and healing, being able to, like, bring your body back. And Anyway, I'd love to hear what our readers think <laughs> about that one. That's a, that's a deep one. That's mm-hmm. a great question. Mm-hmm. I think I'm on the, the side of the, you know, healing body situation especially the shape shifting can be thrown in there because, you know, yeah. And I don't want to know what's going on in anybody else's head. I I can barely handle what's Uh, happening in mine. So (laughs) keep on moseying along now. (laughs) This is, this is the reason why. And then, Mm -hmm. then, you know, you don't get to have life because once you start controlling minds, like you just, that needs to be your job. Like that's your job. That's what I think of as like, what liars are doing you know it's like you're you're distorting the truth somehow you're distorting the truth yeah someone else's thinking and Mm -hmm. yeah anyway but no judgment (laughs) that's your thing um yes yeah so sit with that one and then so they start to land in this relationship there's this tenderness there this love that feels present and it's brief but you know it's like He's just another one of her lovers. Would you describe the relationship that they briefly land in as respectful, as free, as a desirable connection, right? Like, hmm. is there something, you know, like, are you buying it, basically, <laughs> as you're reading that section? Like, oh, okay, something's happening here. And similarly, the transgressive as erotic is very present with these two. You know, it's very much mm-hmm. like we are covering 
all the territory. And in this one, it's the breastfeeding, but there's been switching genders back and forth. There's the continuous transgression of, of all the bodies that he comes to her in that she makes love to. And I guess the question I have for the readers is, does their erotic relationship awaken anything in you? Does it feel familiar or very, very foreign? Are there transgressive acts that you do or do not give yourself permission to indulge in? And do they tie to intimacy and love? Or is it something that you do outside of that space? Mm -hmm. I find it very fascinating here that it's like the more in love they are, the more transgressive they become together. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just want to hear that that reflection for our listeners. And I always find the tension and the energy between them very, very sensual, even though there's so much, and maybe because there's so much thick emotion around it, you know, that's like mm-hmm. the transgressions are happening outside the bedroom much more than even inside, you know. I also love, you know, I didn't mention it before, but the part where she takes this journey, you know, into the Dora world, but then she starts to be like, I want to go into the Dora world. Exactly. Like she actually, you know, and I just think about it as like, oh, it must be like when she's like, I want to be a dolphin. Like I want to be a, you know, that it's, it's like, where else is she going to have this ex- kind of experience? Exactly. There's something that is pleasurable you know there's so much it's like an overwhelming all-consuming pleasure and you know I definitely know that feeling I mean like I laugh with my sweetheart now because there's times where I'm just like I just want to like literally be in you and you be in you know like I want to merge completely into one (laughs) body mind spirit heart for a moment Mm -hmm. and you know we laugh about it because we're trying to squeeze each other even you know like can I squeeze you harder like how can I get in there and Mm. I feel like I've had that experience with her spiritually as well, you know, and with people that I'm yes, close I to am. spiritually where it's like, oh, let's feel our oneness, you know. Um, but the danger mm-hmm. of that for someone like Doro and for someone like Anyanwu where it's like their immortality is in their uniqueness. And right. like it's literally like to come together, one of us has to die <laughs> in some way or to give mm. up fundamentally who we are. And that leads into my next question, you know, so... Anyanwu is in this deep depression because she's like, you are an obscenity. You are like the per- this person that I love and you continuously kill those who serve you, those who love you, those who, who care for you. And the only thing I can think of is I've got to go. I've got to commit suicide. And So mm-hmm. first, do you understand her depression here? Do you understand that this seems to be her only option? Do you understand the exhaustion that she's feeling? And do you see another way? Like as you're reading it in that moment, do you see another way where she can actually stay in her dignity or even in her love and he can be who he is? Or is it that, no, fundamentally it's, it's if he is who he is, she cannot stay, you know? So just, mm-hmm. I always reach this point of the story and I'm like, there's got to be some other way, you know, like I can feel what everyone around her feels. There's got to be another way. There's got to be another way, you know. And then I love what you said about this quietness. I'm the same way. (laughs) I'm just like, (laughs) if I'm quiet, (laughs) Molly, you endanger girl. (laughs) You know, like that's Mm -hmm. that's when 
you know, the decision is made. I'm like, I'm not arguing. Like, that's right. you know, the decision is made. So for you as our readers, just to reflect, when you have given up or when you have made the final decision, how do you show that? How do those around you know that? Do you know that? Do you know how it feels when you're in that place? Yeah. And then years ago, I was traveling around the country, having these conversations about Octavia Butler, like right at the beginning of Emergent Strategy. And I sat in a room in Oakland and we were discussing Wild Seed. And someone in the room was like, did she try to heal him? Like she's a healer and he's a fundamentally wounded person. And did she try Mm -hmm. hard enough to heal him? And I hadn't really considered that question before, you know, because I'm just like, clearly, look, (laughs) she did this and that and this and that. But then I was like, well, did she ever just sit with her hands on him? And especially in this last section when she has felt like this is what that space in him is or feels like. Did she try to heal him? And so it's a question I ask for y'all is, do you feel she tried enough to heal him? Do you feel like Mm. she tried hard enough to save his humanity? And fundamentally, is, is what happens when he says, I would give anything to lay down beside you and die with you, right? Which, you know, I'm like, oh, dying is to the immortals. That's the highest value you can offer. That's the highest thing you can offer. It's like, I'll, I'll die with you. Like, we could live forever. But if we can't live forever, I, I would die with you, right? Do you feel like this weeping, this, this heart opening that he has, is that his humanity? Mm-hmm. Does she save his humanity? Mm-hmm. So... I I think the, you know, the healing thing is, I think she's a walking healer, Yes. you know, and she heals by like, by you existing alongside her, her assistance. And I think, you know, this book would be very different if or giant parts of it, Dora was insistent on killing her. Yeah. And that she's, she's defenseless against it unless unless she turns into an animal. Exactly. But I think she's constantly like healing him and showing him in examples and, and, you know, that's coming to the, to these certain places and meeting him, you know, meeting him where he is, which I think a lot of times people don't consider healing, but I think it's one of the most, you know, healing, best healing practices meet people where they are. She does that constantly. All the time. You know, all the time she is like, okay, he's the, he's in this. I'm a, I'm a just work with it, you know? Yeah. But I think that's the collapse is when she gives up like trying. That's, yes. And I think that's what this book is about is that she's like, I'm done. Like yeah. I can't. And, you, you know, know, I feel similarly, like, I feel like there are healers who, who, you know, lay hands on and bring that healing energy and then there's healers who it's like by the model of their existence, you see them and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that heals me. Thich Nhat Hanh like, is like that for me, like just witnessing Thich Nhat Hanh's existence heals something in me. <laughs> you know, like um, yeah. just I'm like, we never met, but just knowing that he exists and that he thinks the way he does and that he is meditating the way he's meditating, it, like it moves me, right? And I feel that in this though, you know, I always feel... This is what healing actually looks like when we're still ourselves. We're still, we're not becoming saints. We're not becoming less human. 
We mm-hmm. don't actually give up the monstrous impulse in ourselves. Sometimes it just looks like that weeping and that like, I need you. I need someone to be here with me and see me as I am and accept that this is how I am. And I need to be invited to be the best I can be in this. But there is something in here every single time I read it that I'm just like, wow, like this is this is how far how deeply she could reach him, you know, yeah, that something about the love that he was able to offer her and that weeping, right, was something that was healing enough for her to stay through the night. And it's yeah. like, it's just the night. It's not a promise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just the night. But it's like, yeah. there's one more night. And, you know, I think so many of us, especially right now, our lives are kind of structured that way. It's like, can I just get through one more day? That's right. You know, like, <laughs> who do I love enough to get me through one more day, one more, you know, in spite of the hopelessness, in spite of the dysfunctionality, in spite of these systems of oppression, you know, what makes me want to hold on through the night? And we each mm-hmm. have a different thing like that. And for Doro, it's on Yanwu, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, That's yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, I think another thing about about the healing, you know, um, living thing is Doro can't hear a yes. Yeah. He can't hear a yes at all. Like, I mean, she, so many people say yes to him. Yes. And he never can. He doesn't. He literally doesn't hear it. It's yeah. not. It doesn't mean anything, you know, and that's right. she's that's at the end. She's like, I told you, like, I believe in you. I believe in what you're doing. <laughs> you know, isn't there a way to do it? You know, where it's just not so violent and vicious and so like this. And, you know, he couldn't hear that. He can't hear yeses from all of the people who are like, yes. I will. He doesn't, he doesn't value it. He doesn't hold it. It just, you know, brother, the the healing attempts have been made. Yeah. And I think there's something around, you know, throughout this, this particular narrative, Doro is so deeply aligned with the slave owners, the slave sellers, Mm -hmm. the masters, those who can't see the humanity of someone that they have determined as chattel is is meant to be only of service to them and i think this is one of those moments too where you know she's like it's not about me and how you treat me because that's not the the problem you don't hurt me you hurt everyone around me you hurt everyone else and if Mm -hmm. you can't see the humanity of these people who i love and i see their humanity we can't be here you will you will continue to cause me so much pain and in a way, it's the fundamental mm. question of black people speaking to white people, right? It's yeah. the fundamental question, the fundamental demand of the slave to the to the master. And it's like, you have to relinquish the part of you that cannot see my humanity, or I cannot right. stay, and you, you will suffer, <laughs> you know? Yes, You'll right. be miserable in my absence, but I cannot stay here if you can't see my humanity and the humanity of, of my people. Um, it's just brilliant to me, you know, like when you, how, how you can, you know, sort of step back and see the big picture of this time, of the time that mm. Octavia chose to ro- write this and make it plain. Like fundamentally, we're talking about, can we heal that, that massive wound that has allowed humans to think that they can't see each other's humanity and to act from that place? Yes. Yeah. Go Octavia. <laughs> go Octavia. She's so brilliant. Honey, go Octavia. She's so brilliant. So 
you want to get into this epilogue a little? Like, I mean, there's just this a little addition that is quite lovely. It really is. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to click it down because it really is a couple of pages. Yep. But, you know, they got they wake up the next morning breathing mm. and then there had to be changes. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. One, Anyanwu could not have all she wanted, and Doro could not have all that he had once considered his by right. And she stopped him from destroying his breeders after they had served him, but she could not stop him from killing altogether. But she could extract a promise from him that there would be no more Susans, no more, and no more Thomases. So he, too, he did not command her any longer. She was no longer one of his breeders not even one of his people in the old proprietary way. He could ask for her um, cooperation. Three, he would not interfere with her children at all. There was a disagreement here. She wanted him to promise that he would not interfere with any of her descendants, but he wouldn't because he was like, do you know how many descendants you have? Four, thus uncomfortably, she settled for protecting her children and her grandchildren, or even strangers who became members of her household. These were hers to protect, hers to teach, hers to move if she wished. And then five, I, <laughs> five there, would be, um, there would be a war between the northern and southern states. And so she chose to move her people to California. And this move displeased him, and he thought she was leaving not only to get away from the coming war, but to make it more difficult for him to break his word regarding her children. Mm. Um, six, he accused her of not trusting him and she admitted it freely. <laughs> she was like, I don't trust you, man. Uh, you are still the leopard, she said, and we are still the prey. Why should we tempt you? Uh, seven, he says, you will see me. When you want to, oh, she says, you will see me when you want to badly enough. You know that. And what distance has ever stopped you? Eight, in California, she finally took a European name, Emma. She had heard that it meant grandmother or ancestors, and this amused her. And she became Emma Anyanwu. It will give people something to call me that they can pronounce, she told him on his (laughs) first visit. And nine, he laughed. He did not care what she called herself as long as she went on living, and she would do that. No matter where she went, she would live. She would not leave him. Hmm. There we are. So, you know, I I always appreciate this ending because it feels realistic to me. You know, like it mm-hmm. feels like she is not going to compromise her dignity and her fundamental needs. Like there's going to have to be changes, but that he's also who he is at the end of it. Like the things he can't change, she's not asking him to change. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something, there's something to be learned inside of this. Although I always struggle with the compromise, <laughs> you know, I always struggle mm-hmm. with the compromise, but I also recognize I think this is why Octavia is one of the greatest teachers we have when it comes to strategy is I also recognize that Anyanwu is making the agreement that will keep her people as safe as they can be in this moment, given these conditions, right? 
So, That's right. you know, she's like, okay, like, here's what I can get you to agree to. And that's as far as we can go. And no, I don't trust you. I love the honesty that she holds with him and that he holds with her. (laughs) That's like, I don't trust you. And why would I trust you? I think that's one of the the core shapes of abusers is asking for trust that that has not been earned (laughs) and just being like, so mad that you're like, but you don't trust me. I'm like, no. (laughs) Um, Mm -mm. But but here are some agreements. Here are some things you could do that could help build that up. And so for listeners, the takeaways from this chapter for you in your own life are what agreements and boundaries do you need in your life as you are navigating systems that want to compromise your dignity and compromise your humanity? And mm-hmm. What are the agreements, the boundaries, the, the lines that you need to hold and who helps you hold those lines? Who's the community, mm. the children, the people, the family? Who helps you hold the lines of your boundaries? And then what compromises can you offer? Right? Are there people who you're trying to operate as if you don't need to compromise with them when actually you do? When actually, you know, I, I this breaks me all the time. I'm like, I can't believe we share the planet with people who are so foolish and so reckless. And whenever I read this text, I'm like, do I need to find a compromise? What, what do I absolutely need to be in an agreement? And then where do I need to find compromise in order to stay on this planet and share this resource? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think the question, the transitional question, it'll take us from wild seed into the realm of mind of my mind is, is this enough? Is what they land on enough? Is it enough safety, enough clarity? Is it enough to keep Doro from causing immense harm? Mm. And if it's not enough, what would be? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wild seed. Wild seed. Um, I just really <laughs> want to do a circle with you and some of our beloveds on this thinking um, of holding the complicated space of of knowing what you need and knowing you're in a collaborative zone and knowing that you know you're not going to get everything you want. Yeah. And there's this way that she kind of pulls the expectations and emotion she doesn't get rid of them she just she lets them be they she lets them serve her versus like you know if i don't get them then i can't do anything yeah and i so want like a, a better conversation about the state that we're in right now yes and and that we're falling into the the trap of you know there's a Biden, there's a, you know, that the worldview is like, there's a Biden. Yes. <laughs> and, and then, Biden. and then there's a Biden <laughs> sing, sing. There's a Biden. <laughs> and then Biden is like, when, when something gets attacked, it's like Biden didn't get to do the, the thing for the climate. And Biden yes. is losing the, the thing around the, the thing. And Biden mm-hmm. is blah, 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 blah. 
And I'm like, but could you just substitute Biden for we are not getting climate <laughs> protection? We That's are right. not getting da 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 da. And can you include the you know violence that is actually against all of these things? Exactly. And and how you know how by the time you're in the collaborative zone of like you know using the elections as a mode of creating any kind of like balance on the planet that you're making decisions. This is one of the decisions. It's not the decision. Exactly. It's not the whole, it is something that you're using or that you're evoking at desperate times yes. to like literally take these steps forward. So I'm just, I'm like, we, we need to really see the whole picture that we're actually operating in. That's right. That's right. I mean, this is huge. Like I I feel like what I hear happening in us politically is mm-hmm. an all or nothing stance, right? It's our that's way right. or you know, there's that's it. It's our way. But <laughs> without necessarily doing the work it takes on an organizing level to hold that line. Right. Where it's like, okay, we've done everything we can. And now here's the line being held. It's like, no, we just want the line to be held. (laughs) We want you. We just want, we just want the line to be held. We just want the line to be held. And like, you know, there's, there are issues on which I think that is accurate. Right. Like I'm like, there are issues where I'm like, yeah, we have been fighting slavery um, long enough now that when we see it in prison form, you know, we can be like enough, you know, that, and we have to be willing to participate in what the transitions look like. And I think a lot Mm -hmm. of times we are like, that's enough. And you who have created the problem also need to figure out how to make the solution happen, even though (laughs) you, you don't know how. Right. So part Mm -hmm. of what I'm always looking at is like, how do we who are practicing the solutions continue to allow ourselves to be available when people catch up to, oh, shit, <laughs> we need to do it this other way. And it's like, yes, right. and guess what? We've been practicing that other way. We're ready. You know, I think of there's a there was a Detroit organizer named General Baker. And he said that he's like, we're always talking about how do we get the people here? How do we get the people here? And he's like, what are you going to do when they show up? And yeah. that, that question, you know, feels very relevant here. You know, just like, OK, we have Doro we have Anyanwu and we have all these people that they have bred and created in this world and they're here now, you know, what are we going to do about these people? That's the, you know, mm-hmm. like, what are we going to do? They're here. And Anyanwu is like, Oh, I can't, I can't hold an all or nothing stance. Mm-hmm. Even her trying to get people ready. She's like, they're going to probably die. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they'll live or they'll die. And without me, you mm-hmm. know, like that's, what's going to happen. And just to know that it's like, oh, that's not the solution, you know. Mm-hmm. So how do I find the compromise that allows me to stand in my dignity? And I think we're in that moment right now with this earth where it's like, okay, we've got to figure this out, like some way to stand in our dignity with people who seem offended by dignity, <laughs> yeah. offended by longevity. So, you know, wild seed is, I think, good medicine for that work. Very good medicine. Thank you, Octavia. Thank you, Octavia. Thank you, Adrian Marie Brown. Thank you, Toshi Regan. Oh, my goodness. Aren't we blessed? Mm. Um, Mm. 
So we are going to um, take a little break. Toshi's going to be all over the entire world doing the parable. Come through parable, making music, yeah, doing things. um, And then we'll be back with Mind of My Mind. And we probably will do some Instagram live things in the Instagram in, in between. So you can check out our Instagrams. And we're also thinking about merch, dreaming about merch, feeling our way into merch. So that (laughs) is also something that might unfold. And if you want to let us know, you know, comments, send us messages on Patreon or, you know, post on our on our Instagrams. Like if you have a merch request, like here's my dream Octavia's Parables merchandise thing that I would love. Like (laughs) we would take that seriously. Um, Feel free to share with us. (laughs) So. Octavia's Parables is hosted by myself, Adrienne Marie Brown, and the beloved and brilliant Toshi Regan. Our producer is the incredible Kat Aaron, who has worked tirelessly late nights, mm-hmm. early mornings to make this happen. And we're just deeply grateful to Kat. Our show art is from Krista Franklin, who has so much incredible art and books, and you can go find it. <laughs> Dive yes, deeply yes. into her work. So, um, um, Krista <laughs> is the art director for the upcoming Octavia E. Butler tarot deck, and it's incredible. So keep an eye on Krista. We're transcribed by the incredible and wonderful and marvelous and magical Jess Pinkham. And you can find us on Twitter still at O Parables. That'll be what we do before the next season. We're going to get our Instagram <laughs> um, You can also mm. become a supporter of our work at patreon.com slash oparables and find all of our transcripts for all of our episodes at readingoctavia.com. Uh, music for Octavia Parables is You Don't Know the Time, written and performed by Toshi Regan, and the Sower Song, written by Bernice Johnson Regan and performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower and Chapel Hill. North Carolina at Memorial Hall. Yes. I love you so much. I love you, love. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good break. (laughs) Have a good break. All right. Yeah. See you on the uh, Instagram lives. (laughs) Bye. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow.